As we mentioned last week, Jesus is not a cartoon. That said, any reading of the Gospels will show that Jesus was usually gentle, kind, giving, serving, willing to help. But if you really read the Gospels, you'll find a few places where he was upset and anger comes. Never out of control anger. Never uh, he lost it. He never did lose it. It was always well channeled and well used. Sometimes Jesus just had to get away and he'd go off into the wilderness and there were a few times he would take his apostles with him but most of the time he just needed to be out there away for a while. When we come upon the hard sayings of Jesus as we did last week and three weeks ago it should make us pay attention. Something is going on. With that it, it may look like he's acting out of character. It may, may look like he, he doesn't seem very Christ-like but well, that's our clue that something else is going on and we need to pay attention. We come upon one of those passages in Matthew 23, the longest sustained broadside against any group of people in the Gospels is Matthew 23. Jesus has a sermonette, and it's not a, a pleasant one if you're the target of it. He decides it's time to give the Pharisees one more chance to get God right and understand what religion is all about. Jesus is about to face the cross. There is a limited amount of time to get this done, so he's not going to, he's not going to ease up on this. He's going to move in there and just lay it out. It's rather like there are times in a therapist's office where the therapist realizes, this is the only time I'm going to get them. They are never coming back. And if that happens, and if it's a good therapist who cares about what happens when they get home, they won't go, well, what do you think about that? And go, huh, and just repeat back to them. They're going to say, all right, let me just say, tell you what I see and lay out some, here's, here's your path. Unless you change, this is your path. And that's what Jesus did here. They're Pharisees. Pharisees were conservative believers. There's nothing wrong with being conservative believers. I will say that on Twitter since the invasion of Ukraine, not only have the left and right of our politics be clowned themselves, so have the left and right of Christians. Friends, you don't, you, we're not foreign policy experts. Our job is to love. We were not epidemiologists during COVID. Our job is to love. Stay in your job. Do what you're supposed to do. Because any of these things, it doesn't bring people to Jesus. It just further divides. And so the Pharisees didn't get that. And so they kept trying to be better and closer to God, but doing it in a way that God didn't like. And I get that. Many of us here were told how to serve God and how to please God, only to find out later that didn't come from Scripture. That came from traditions that had been elevated to the power of Scripture. Sometimes you have to go backward. As C.S. Lewis put it, there are times when you are lost that going backward is exactly the right thing to do. Pharisees had not gone backwards. He's going to give them another shot. Now in chapter 22 of Matthew, that's when he had silenced the Sadducees. That was a liberal wing. And so now the Pharisees want to get together. The Pharisees get together. One of them, an expert in the law. Well, I've met them. This is, by the way, religious law. He goes, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. He tried. Works were a very big part of pharisaical life. They were, they were not sourced in love, however. And I, this is one of the things we're going to look at today. What is our motivation what are we doing, and what is, what's the effect of it? Jesus is about to unleash seven woes upon these people. And it didn't, this is not a random number. It was a rhetorical device. You did seven whenever you wanted to let people know they were completely whatever you're going for. Like in the book of Revelation, you will go for three holies or you'll go for seven, because that just means complete, absolute, when you're going, talking about God. He's saying, you're completely messed up. You're going the whole wrong direction. Think of Matthew 7, when Jesus says on the day of judgment, there will be people who will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do these mighty great works in your name? And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are because you were pointed the wrong direction, doing the wrong things. Good works, acts of obedience done to please God are wonderful if they are done in love. They are not wonderful if they're not done in love if they do not acknowledge the preciousness of others, and if they are not done sacrificially. So we come upon Matthew 23. And um, in my wisdom today, I left the Bi my Bible out in the car, so I have now the internet version, um, which means I have to touch buttons. And all of you who have grandparents know how well that goes. Matthew 27, uh, 23, the first seven verses. Then Jesus said to the crowd, and is to his disciples. The teachers of the law, now they're right there. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees are right there. You can almost hear them say, we can still hear you. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' feet. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But don't do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And yes, that's the first appearance of that phrase in history. It's in the mouth of Jesus. They say it. I don't do it. I don't know how many times I've had people write me saying, now I love you, brother, but, and there is zero love in anything that comes from the rest of that. Oh, boy. Because they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. We'll talk about that. And the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. All right, a phylactery. They were so intent on following the law that uh, there was a metaphorical teaching in the Old Testament that said, take these commandments, write them upon your foreheads, have them upon your left hand and upon your right. So they took it literally and they'd get these boxes and strap them to their heads and scripture would either be written on the boxes or if they were really good guys, the boxes would protrude a bit and there'd be scriptures in there and left and right. And then, you know, they'd start making the phylacteries bigger and then the tassels, these are um, elements of prayer, almost like a rosary. You know, it's not that way, but just work with me. And they would make those longer as well. And so walking around, we are the people of prayer, look at us all. And Jesus, in fact, had earlier said, don't be like them. Before they give anything to anybody, they blow a trumpet so you'll see it. 
You know, and again, do they really blow a trumpet? No, Jesus is allowed to use language like we do. And to use hyperbole and use synecdoche, and he did. We've seen this at work over the last two years, by the way, as rules for the rest of us were ignored by, and put this in capitals, those who matter. So we were told, don't go to restaurants when they did. We were told, don't get your hair cut when they did. We were told, you wear a mask when you go to a party, and then they gathered and didn't. And over and over, we saw the pictures, and over and over, they were saying, no, no, that's all right. Mayor of Los Angeles, he's probably a great guy and probably loves his babies and Jesus. But um, the week before the Super Bowl, had a picture taken with a basketball player. They didn't have their mask on. When challenged, he said, I was holding my breath. <laughs> the next week, Super Bowl, for four hours, he held his breath. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, I've been a hypocrite too. So if I throw a rock out there, you're allowed to throw one back at me. But we've gone through this for two years. It's not a good look. Whenever you tell somebody to do something and you don't follow the rule they put down for everybody else. It just isn't. And we need to be honest. It is becoming more and more frequent that leaders of churches are having to resign or be shoved out because of sexual impropriety, uh, sexual harassment, uh, dipping into the treasury funds and enriching their own lives. Preachers, we cannot tell others to do what we will not do. And we cannot tell others not to do what we are doing. Jesus will not tolerate that. He calls us to serve without the desire to be seen. Without the desire to be recognized. And that's hard to do. It really is. Because we love being seen and recognized. When I say we, I'm not talking about preachers alone. Although they are absolutely in there. In fact, when it comes to preachers, we're the only ones who have a job description with a written warning on it from the brother of Jesus Christ. In James 3.1, there shouldn't be many of you who become teachers because they will receive the greater condemnation. Yeah, because if we mislead you, or what if you saw me, and uh, saw Cammie and, I in a, uh, and, Cammie and me in a store, and you saw me berating her, uh, being uh, snide and sarcastic toward her. We didn't know that you were watching. What would that do? So it's not just my action, is it? It would break you. Because now you'd question who I am and what I've told you through the years. We have to live as we say we believe. And we have to live as we say we teach. And I'll tell you right now, in my life, that has often been a great burden. Because we live in a goldfish bowl. Remember once Cammy and I left? We even left the state we were in, just to a bordering state. There was going to be a golf tournament for a, a, a Christian college, and we thought, great time to get away. So we went over, and uh, you know, this, this is back in the days whenever in the evenings you'd go to the mall and walk around. Remember malls? They were nice. Um, so we were in the mall walking around, and this very large African-American young man stood in front of me and goes, are you Patrick Mead? And I just froze, and there was a guy beside me, and I said, no, I, he is. <laughs> and, um, and he smiled, and I smiled, and he picked me up and hugged me, and he's one of the, the students we, quote, adopted over the years. As we're walking on, Cammy goes, can't take you anywhere. And I said, that's the whole point of my life. I, uh, one of the reasons I'm a minister is so I won't forget to be who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I'm afraid that if I went into another line of work, that um, I would become more like I am 
than I should be. Do you understand that? I'm hoping to be, hoping you do. Jesus begins with the series of seven woes here. He says, um, you know, the greatest among you should be your servant. Don't, don't want to be called rabbi. Don't want to be called instructor. Don't want to be called father, he says elsewhere. Here, he says, the greatest are the servants. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And now the woes come. Woe to you, verse 13. This is the first one. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. They're right there. Jesus was no coward. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. See, they thought they were in. They thought they had a great place. He goes, no, you're not coming. (laughs) You are not in the kingdom right now. And you're keeping others out. Brothers and sisters, I was, in, I was raised in a super conservative church where we would have young couples with a couple of kids come in and, and, and they were, wow, you know, great, we got new members. You know, this would be terrific. And then they want to place membership. Then we find out one or both of them had been married before. And our rule is, no, you can't do that because this isn't a real marriage now. And you have to divorce each other and you have to sit. I, it was horrible. It was Ezra on steroids. And we thought we were pleasing God. And what we were doing was blocking the door of heaven. And claiming we were doing it with the permission of God. Now I'll never get over that because I was a part of it. You know, I, yes, I repented. But those people are still out there somewhere. And you think, oh, you know, dear Lord, I hope they found somebody nicer than us. And then you come upon Acts chapter 15. Where arguments about Jewish and non-Jewish and all of these unclean and the way the Gentiles misbehave are brought to the mother church in Jerusalem. And the problems are presented and James, the brother of Christ, stands there and speaks for everyone and says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to make it harder than it needs to be. And I never in my life heard a sermon on Acts 15. Never. But I think maybe we should look at that every so often. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Matthew 23 and verse 15, the second woe. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now, by the way, I can see it right now, reading this, somebody say this, people go, that doesn't sound Christian. You know, Jesus isn't giving us the right to be mean and judgmental. He is Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He can say things we can't. He can make judgments we cannot. And he's letting them know, no, you're serving the wrong thing. And again, this is not all about me, but I have attended many funerals where the person in the casket was lauded for their service to the church. And Jesus' name was never mentioned. But it was always to the church, to the church, to the church. I've heard, by the way, in secular ones as well, where it was always their dedication to the scouts or their dedication to, and you never heard anything above this. You never heard anything about Christ. But there's a very different, there's a big difference between serving your branch of faith and serving Jesus. And we need to pay attention because I don't know of anything easier than the fallback in that first group. It's, it's, always a, it's always a work for me in progress. It's, we are living sacrifices. You've heard that, right? Be a living sacrifice. You know what the biggest problem with the living sacrifice is? It keeps crawling off the altar. You have to get back, get back, get back. Well, another one. This one's strange to us. 
uh, verses 16 forward. We don't really get it, so I'll read it and I'll summarize it and move on. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. All right. Like I said, it's strange. It is an example of the way we use legal language or the way we try to make the Bible legal language to release us from an obligation. You know, agree with each other up on the road so that you may both enter heaven. Well, we'll say, well, we can't agree with them because they're not going. We split hair. Or, you know, do not, as, as I've brought up before, you know, do not argue over disputable matters. Well, this is not disputable. See what we did? Splitting hairs to release ourselves or love, love your enemies. Well, you know, I would, but no, no. When people leave a church, by the way, I've noticed in my life that if they leave and go to a more conservative church, we're upset. If they leave and go to a more liberal church, we're not. It's kind of like the conservative people. Well, we just weren't faithful enough, but the liberal people were, well, they weren't really Christian anyway. It's just bizarre. Splitting hairs. And we find ways to make our failures, listen to this, our failures a mark of faithfulness. We are the faithful remnant. People just don't want to listen to the scripture today. The fact that there are only 10 people in our room right now, well, that just means that we're being faithful in the world, is it? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It could, but I doubt it. Recently, in a tribe in which I was raised, and I'm not trying to just beat up on them, that's the tribe in which I was raised. Every church I know of is going through these. The Catholic churches are going through it. I don't know about the Eastern Orthodox churches. I know the Southern Baptists have been having hair-pulling sessions the last two years. A lot of them, the, the group in which I grew up um, would frequently have issues, but it's gotten more. And recently, the Christian Chronicle, which is a wonderful newspaper about that group, uh, from faithful members of that group, um, Bobby Ross and all of them are really good people. And we still get it and read it. But it was, it was heartbreaking, churches that have had to sell their buildings. They used to be 2,000, now they're down a couple hundred. One of those was a church I served for 10 years and it built up a massive and great presence and now the building is sold. And it, you just shakes your head. And then a university uh, allied to them that had to close and send letters to everybody saying, you got to go home. We have no money. It's done. And then the ads for preachers. And I started reading those out to my wife. This church, we want a man that preaches sound doctrine and is sound in the faith and sticks to the truth of the Bible. You know, we're a faithful church of 30 people. And that's the way they all were. And I'm going, when will we see? When will we see? Because I love every person in that, that tribe. I don't make fun of them. I don't speak against them. I beg for them to open up a little bit and see that this is not where God wants us to be. Let's back up. Let's get back to Jesus. Jesus said, says that what we say matters. 
And our obligation to him does not go away merely because we are clever with our phrasing. And then down to verses 23 through 24, checking time, we've got a little bit of time left. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Those are tiny. I dare you to tithe cumin. (laughs) Uh, But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now we don't, we, and he goes, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. By the way, we don't get Eastern humor, but all through this chapter, the crowd would have started tittering, which is a lovely word you should use more often. And by this time, there would have been guffaws. Another word one must bring back to English language. Laugh. We have many words, people. Anyway, they, and they would have been pointing and the Pharisees would have been getting rain because he's being funny. He's saying you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's hilarious to a Semitic person. And if you're not holding your sides, fair enough. Biology is, is hurting you here. Uh, and culture. But again, he's saying, do that. What you're doing with the tithing, God recognizes that you really want to be exact and do it well. So do that. But you've neglected the weightier matters. There are weightier matters. All my life I was told, every sin is just as bad as the other. Were you ever told that? I won't go on record right now. I'd much rather you cheat me out of $5 or lie about me than kill me. There you go. To, to me, not all sins matter the same. I, I, you can cut me off in traffic, but don't cut me with a blade, and we're good. God never said they're all that way. God was making a point about the people trying to keep the old law, and, pe- and we misused that phrasing that he used uh, to make his point. And that is that the old law cannot make you perfect. So he said, if you fail in one, you failed in all, because you're not perfect. Okay, fair enough. But there are weightier matters. Well, those of you that are watching, and some of you may be new. This is a church that says, if you can say any of the ancient creeds you're in, and if you can't, you're in. We're not going to put up any walls. We're not going to put up any barriers. We may make errors, but we choose to make errors because we loved too much, and gave too much, and served too much, rather than too little. If we're going to make an error, we want it to be toward the plus side of the equation. We want the weight here matters. And again, the next one is is very much like we looked at last week. Um, uh, Your whitewashed tombs. Jesus was witty. um, Which looked beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. By the way, right now, they were not only, the Pharisees were not only in a huff, I'm certain they were huffing. Just huff, huff. Because they are the ones who are the clean ones. And he's going, you look clean, but you're not. Inside, totally not clean. You're dead. You're unclean inside. Clean yourself first. Clean yourself first. Don't worry about what others are seeing or saying about you. They're not your judge. They didn't make you. They don't know you. They don't live in your skin. They have not gone through your experiences. Why would you listen to them? They're warped, failing mirrors. Listen to Jesus. And don't worry about others. Just clean yourself and keep moving. The same in verses 27 through 28. Um, It's another woe, but the same. And then the last one we'll look at is 29 and 30. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You decorate the tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. In other words, he said, you, God sent you messengers and you killed them. And you said, now you look back and go, well, we would have never done that back then. And he said, but you're about to. Because they killed Jesus. There's something called chronological arrogance. And we see it a lot. I have, I've talked to people who are absolutely convinced that if they had lived during the early 1800s, they would have opposed slavery with all of their might. Maybe. Maybe. But you don't know that for sure. I was asked by a person once, what, what would happen to me if I had been born in Iran or Iraq? And my response is very quick. I would have been a faithful Muslim. Because... I am not so high thinking of myself as to think, I would have been a Muslim, but I wouldn't have been like the rest of them. I'd be going, I wonder about this Jesus fellow. No. Just like you're not sitting around wondering about Muhammad, are you? We have to realize we are creations of our culture and we need to be saved by Christ. All of us. All of us are doing things right now that will shame our great-grandkids. Now, I hope it's not entirely. I hope they say, I really like my great-grandparents, but, you know, this part they were blind about. My mother, every so often, my mother, I think she's a nice person. I'd like to grow up to be her. It's a little late now, frankly, but I'm trying. But at 90, sometimes she says things at the dinner table that I'm going, oh. (laughs) Anybody else hear that? (laughs) Is there, let me get the app and start the car. Um, it, no, hang, and see, Siri? No, see, Siri is saying I can't stop the car. Um, yeah, no, you can't. I don't, I don't trust you. See, that's what happens if I had my real Bible. We will all give our kids something to be ashamed of because that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be getting better. Our sister, Fanny Smith, will have a celebration of life that you can watch online at 2 o'clock. I believe it's Eastern time, 2 o'clock. If you look up Highland View Church of Christ, Oak Ridge, you'll find their page and you can watch it there Uh, because that is Eastern time where they live. We went to their funeral, her funeral in Fayetteville on Thursday But they spent decades and decades and decades at at Oak Ridge. And so there'll be another one there. And I was uh, asked to say the last prayer. And one of the things I brought up was, well, she made the world better. And then her kids are making it better. And her grandkids will make it better. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, the end of the, the woes here, here's the sad thing. When you start looking... There's no salvation there. He doesn't end with salvation. He ends with obliteration. Everything will be ended for you. Your whole system will be ended. Your worship will be ended. Your church, your temple will be ended. They called that blasphemy, but it was really information. Jesus knew what was going to happen. 
when the Romans tore apart Jerusalem in 70 AD. And from that time, there's not a Jew on the planet who can tell you what tribe they're from because all of that's gone. There have been some realignments and some decisions, but the fact is the records are gone. Jesus warned them, you are like your fathers. You need a savior, but you're about to kill him. We need to be, um, be wary. Never paint Christ as a cartoon, but instead understand that taking up the, con- the life has consequences. If we take up the image of Jesus and live out what is most important, love, love of each other, love of God, justice, mercy, righteousness, faith, hope, and love, then and only then will we uh, give our Father in heaven something to be proud of. Religious people, I've got to close by saying this, because it's not a peppy, upbeat sermon, and I like peppy, upbeat sermons. This won't make it better, by the way, just have to add it. The only people that Jesus ever fell on, like a ton of bricks, were the religiously arrogant. You know, we are anointed and we can do this because we know what is right. Oh, no. Watch out. And so I've told you for months, over a year now, we don't know what our safe harbor is going to be. There are times I don't know if we're building a chicken or a boat. What I know is God's doing something and we're hanging on for the ride. Yeah. Would you please come up? And uh, No, it's, you don't come up for the last one. That's right. Taylor, you met him at the greeting. Taylor Hoskins is going to sing a song for us. You can sing along. Uh, I'd never heard him play before, but as soon as I saw the, the video come up, and he's got a 12-string guitar, I know that he's a Christian, a good man, and my brother. <laughs> So after that song, we've asked Dutch and Carol, uh, just Dutch coming up? Okay. We've asked Dutch, who has such a deep connection with Ukraine, to say our last prayer and to dismiss the assembly. Thank you, Almighty God, for not judging us, but loving us and giving us a Savior. Let's join in song with Taylor. Oh, so are you.